Hello. We've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Antwoo, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 1, Episode 17, The Northern Air Temple. Today on my panel I have Corey. Hello. Mr. Charles. Hello. And Lindsay. Hi. So, let's get this thing started right away with our initial thoughts. Let's go reverse. So, Lindsay, initial thoughts. Go ahead. I, I really think this episode's a really interesting perspective in that it brings Aang back to his cultural heritage of the Northern Air Temple, but it also shows uh, it, it's an interesting way of showing the advancements that the society really has in which um, you have the balloon technology and the tanks. And it, it's kind of also a good balance, I, I think, of Aang understanding, finding a kind of understanding in that, yes, like, the place obviously is not how he remembers it, but at the same time, he has to be able to accept the fact that I've been gone for all this time, stuff happened, as he already knows, but... He also just needs to be able to accept that and then keep moving forward with that. He can't be so stuck in the past with it. And I think this was a good episode to really kind of force him to do so. So, I, I like the episode. It's good. Alright. Uh, Charles? Yeah. Um, same general impressions. I like how they basically run the theme of you know historical culture versus... Uh, just surviving in the here and now, like trying to balance for Aang, uh, from Ang's perspective, which one means more, or can he resolve those? Um, the overall episode was fine. There's some like nitpickish things about overall story plot and logic that are kind of off, but outside of that, um, yeah, no, I I generally enjoy it. Alright, and Corey. Uh, this wasn't an episode I was expecting. Like, when you read Northern Air Temple, you, you think it's going to be more of like a, a spiritual episode, but then they went like the complete opposite direction with just like these nomads that came in and pretty much destroyed everything and built their own home. And I do like the episode because it tackles a lot of good, like, elements, like, you know, who's right here? Are they right? You know, is Aang right because they're destroying, like, airbend, uh, airbending history, especially because they're literally almost extinct right now? Or were they right because it's been over 100 years, they need a home, and you'd have to, like, think about what to do with your family? So I, I did like that. Um, the technology you see at the end is really cool, like, really, really cool, and the fights were very unique. And um, I thought it's one of the episodes that you know took all the elements and, and, and made the most of them. All right, um, I'm probably going to be the most negative, uh, just judging from what you guys are saying in the initial thoughts. I think that this is two very distinct episodes. I think the first half of this episode has a very clear focus, and, and we see Aang's mental state and how he's dealing with the changes that these temple come. And then we get the second half of the episode with the Fire Nation, and I, I don't think it matches the first half at all. I think it's it suddenly changes the episode to be something very different, and... I can, I don't know, I can kind of see what they're trying to do, but mm -hmm. I, I think that they think that the Fire Nation showing up ties in more with Aang's mental state, and I really don't think it does. And I'll talk a lot more about how I think, why I think that is when we get into it. Um, that being said, there are some things about this episode that are truly great. Um, I've said many times, anytime we can see Airbender culture airbender philosophy i love it i think it's one of the most interesting parts of the show and when it's only hinted at and we get a lot of little subtle hints here about the way airbenders think about themselves and think about the world that will become very important later on and then become very important um in a subsequent series um and i there are like so there are some things to like about this episode but i think that this is one of the weirdest paced episodes and i think that it I honestly feel like there's two distinct episodes in here and they kind of just get jammed together and I don't think it fits particularly well. Um, and we'll talk about that as we uh, go through this episode. Um, just a very a quick point at the very top when we, we get the first initial part where Aang is listening, they're all listening to the story. I like that it, it's clearly a lot colder here than it's been in previous weeks that mm -hmm. we are at least 
kind of getting close to the North Pole, and obviously we know the next episode we will be in the North Pole. We are at the Northern Air Temple. Um, it is just a nice tiny bit of visual storytelling, and we do see like snow on the ground up on the top of the temple. Um, obviously, it's in the mountains, but it does get it does make it feel like this is a more northern part of the world compared to um, where we've been in the South, which mm-hmm. is a nice, just at least a nice touch, I think. Yeah. Um, but obviously the real meat comes in once they hear the story about the airbenders, and you can see Aang's enthusiasm and how, how much he's he's appreciating. And I think he really appreciates the fact that at, in this moment when he thinks that they're talking about ancient airbenders, that at least someone alive still has memories and is passing on the stories of of airbenders existing. That I think that there's some fear that he might um, that because he's the last one, because you know, and he's the Avatar, that there's no one really knows what Airbender life was like. No one knows what Airbenders were, and he thinks at first like, oh, there's this person, this old you know, this old man who's whose now son is telling a story about what it was like, and you can think that that those stories would be passed on. So I can I can appreciate how Ang is. Um, Hearing this would make him very, uh, very happy, um, melancholy, but still just happy that it exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a small aside, Sky Bison Polo sounds so amazingly cool. Like, why don't we <laughs> yes. get to see that? Yes. <laughs> like, could you like polo on horses? These are polo on on flying bison. I think I think it's like Quidditch. Uh, yeah, but they're on bison, not brooms. That just seems so <laughs> awesome. You can, you can blame Cora for not doing it. In, God I mean, damn it, Cora! We have new, we have new bison. It could be coming. Exactly. Sure, it's not like that series is, you know, ended Done. or anything. <laughs> I, I mean, like in the world, it could be coming, not in the series. We need to petition the creators right now for hashtag bison polo. Yes, a, a, a uh, make it trending on Twitter. <laughs> Hashtag bison yeah, we, polo. A, a little short. We don't need like a full episode. Just a, just a little short where we get like one game of bite. That'd be so cool. Yeah. All right. Um, make well, it trending. Everybody yeah. listening to our podcast, please uh... <laughs> go on Facebook, tweet at us with the hashtag Sky Bison Polo. Hashtag Sky Bison Polo. <laughs> um, I now what with um. Once we get in there and we see the Ang gets to see the um, not Airbenders. This I think is the most uh, probably the best scene in the um, in the sh- in the episode because a I love how quickly you can see Ang being really excited. He's you know super. Oh my God! There's Airbenders. They're real, and then immediately turns to that disappointment and how upset he is um, that he got his hopes up. And also, I think it's really really important that Aang can tell right away that they're not airbending and they're just gliding because it helps to give more life to the fact that bending is a more it's it's more complicated than just you know magical power that someone thinks and does where oh it looks like everything else where you can actually tell in the way someone moves are they airbending or are they just gliding on you know on air like this and it's I think it's very important um, for establishing what bending is and for how how much bending is it's more than just the simplicity of magic um, there's a, it's, it's more complicated than that yeah I also like how um, they make sure that they show Sokka and Katara not realizing it that uh, it, this yeah. is something unique to Aang. It's not that, oh, you're a bender, you can tell when someone's bending. It's No, Aang is an airbender. He, mm-hmm. The airbender at this point. Yeah. He, like, he's the expert, and so he can call it from you know, a mile away, like the second he sees him, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Relatively close. And you, and you could... I, th- I think you could probably expect that, like, if Aang and Katara, like, eventually later in their lives, they might more Katara so than Sokka that Katara would probably um, eventually be able to tell once he's once she's seen Aang for so long but like for them at the beginning it's like oh they're gliding of course they're airbending but no there is a there is a functional difference and I also like that he even specifically says it's the way they move that it's not like Aang is like feeling the oh there's no airbending like energy in the air that it's it's just as simple as no I can see how they move they're not airbending it's, it's just there is a difference 
Um, and then that takes us to the other other part of this that I think is really important. When Ang says that the that the non-airbenders have no spirit, um, this is like such an important part of the way airbenders are and how they view things. And that we see we know that airbenders are all about freedom, and they view the air and gliding through the air as, as like really the ultimate freedom. That they're they're not even tethered to the earth. And eventually, we know, you know spoilers for Korra, but we know that the true highest feat of airbending is completely unbinding yourself from the earth and and leaving it totally behind. And when Aang says that they have no spirit, he's talking about the way, the way they're interacting with, with the world that they're, because that they're gliding, they're, they're actually dependent upon their gliders. They're dependent upon, um, they they don't have the same level of control, which, Mm -hmm. which in turn leads to lack of freedom and the air should be all about freedom. And, I think that that's like Katara just doesn't understand what that means. That you know, when she says that, oh, that kid Teo has a lot of spirit, she thinks that he's talking about, you know, oh, they're not having fun, they're just whatever. But it's actually much deeper than that. And then when Ang sees Teo and meets him, he begins to understand the spirit. And I'll I'll talk about like really how interesting Teo is as a character later on. Um, but I just think that it's it's such an important part of understanding the airbender relationship to floating through the air um, compared to just the the difference that is gliding and, and, and how much that changes your perspective. That's deep. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, but I, I definitely agree and understand what you're saying about the, um, the deeper meaning of what spirit is. Kind of like how you mentioned how Katara is like, wow, that kid has spirit. Like, Oh, that's the spirit? Like, <laughs> it's just that um, the difference between the interpretation of the word and what it, like, necessarily was designed to mean versus what it actually means in context and everything. Mm-hmm. Corey, you've been silent for a while. How do you feel? I don't have a lot to say about the, the opening, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, until, right. until you realize... Like, I really don't get emotional, like, reactions until Aang starts noticing what they did to the Northern Air Temple and then starts reacting the way he reacts. So, I guess when we get there, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll talk about that. All right. I mean, we'll get to that quickly. Um, the one other thing, once once Aang uh, and Teo kind of face off in the air, I think this is a very well-animated scene. Um I think that they do. They, there's some very like very nice shots where you get to see you see the background of the temple and the movement of the camera and. I, like for not, they don't often have the camera in motion and, and like putting the camera on the tra- like a track behind um, a character in motion. But I think they do it to great effect here, and it almost helps give us that feeling of freedom that you're seeing among with the characters that we're sort of like flying behind them. Um, and then there's some some interesting. We'll talk about like this is also a very interesting like cinematically. They do some interesting cinematic things with the camera later on during the the final uh, battle scene that I'll talk about. Um, but I do think they do more, like, cinematographical tricks, if that, if that mm-hmm. like, makes sense, um, than they usually do. I feel like the show normally kind of puts the camera somewhere and you're not really supposed to notice it. I really noticed the camera in this episode. And in this particular point, I thought it was used really well. Um, we'll talk about later on how I feel about that, though. Um, it's also interesting to note how much they... the choice of, I guess, actions they take in the air resemble uh, old World War One, World War Two era dogfighting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I mentioned that a lot later. Yeah, Definitely true. Later, it's like less... It's it's more like uh, war units, like a squadron basically, like a flying squadron. Mm-hmm. Here it's like really mm-hmm. the early era of planes, like actual one-on-one uh, battles because yeah yeah have enough tech to get whole groups of people up into the air and coordinate but, yeah um, and i i think that works well and also i mean i i another to go off on a core tangent because i just am going to um <laughs> one of my favorite battles in all of Korra is zahir versus uh tenzin because i love seeing airbenders face off against each other and even though this isn't quite that because teo is an airbender it's kind of the the first moment where we get like a little bit of a two characters in the air facing off with each other and I think that that's like in general it just looks really cool and 
like midair dogfights, uh, as Charles was saying, are like really fascinating to look at, and I think they do a great job of that here. Um, all right, so now we're gonna get to what Corey was talking about when we we see the Aang beginning to see the changes within the temple and the pull of technology versus tradition and how much they're like how much this temple has changed and and what the reaction that um Aang has but i know Corey wants to talk about it, so i'll just let him so it, it's this. very interesting to me because like at first glance you might think ang is overreacting but i actually agree with ang a lot in this episode because like i i, I mean i don't fault the the nomads and the inventors for doing what he did in terms of disrespecting like you know the art because for all he knows he wandered in way after the airbenders were were killed or, or forced out and it was just an empty spot of land where he could be like you know with raise like you know his son and and be safe and you know as you find out later today just the only thing i could do is appease the fire nation but you know for them it's a sweet deal and then ang coming back and just being Aang was completely right in his reaction and how he reacted because he's literally witnessing his, like, the history get disrespected and you just see random ugly, like, like, that's what I also like about this too. They're, they're going more of, like, I guess the steampunky, like, here, like, modern-y look of technology being more, like, not aesthetically pleasing to the eye. So you see the contrast between, like, the nice old contemporary art and, like, what it used to look like and then how ugly it looks now because of all the technology ingrained in it so that's actually something i enjoyed so that like that's like when it really makes you think like can you blame anyone here or is everyone right in their own way um yeah i i agree with you that i don't i don't think ang overreacts at all i mm -hmm. think he you know and, th and this is one of those moments where we it sometimes is lost on you that it hasn't been very long since he's been out of the iceberg. Um, I mean, we don't know exactly the last time he was in the Northern Air Temple, but it probably wasn't that long ago. He was only 12 years old, and we know he's been to the you know to the temples. So, like, it's it's got to be weird that he probably for him it's probably only been a couple of months since he's been here, and suddenly everything is different, and like that that's gotta really hurt him and really um, you know affect him and. You can tell, and I, I don't. I mean, I don't blame the mechanist and the his tribe for doing this. I mean, they they really don't know the historical significance. The Airbenders are gone. They don't, you know, they don't know. I don't think it's their fault. But I don't think Ang is at all in the in the wrong for for being upset. And um, I also think they do a great job of like pulling Ang's emotions in many different ways, where we see early on disappointment, then we see sadness, and then eventually anger and fury win over. Um, once the uh, the statue's head gets gets toppled off and he blows the um, wrecking ball over the cliff, mm -hmm. like you, you can see Ang going through all of these different emotions. That it's not as not just oh he walks in is is dejected or he just walks in and is extremely upset like or angry. That it, it goes through lots of different stages. Um, and I think Ang that that is pulled off really well. But I also think Ang deep down knows that they're not they're they're what the motive is behind what they're doing. Like so he like knows they're not trying to disrespect airbender culture but at the same time it's happening anyway so like i see i think he's trying to actually contain his emotions just because he knows what's up and he he he's trying not to like overreact he can't help. yeah no I, I agree but but then eventually we see the fury win out like oh it, yeah it, it, and, it's and not it was a good moment like. too that made it happen. and also the the inventor like he's very airheaded like oh, that's funny i actually didn't think of that very airheaded <laughs> <laughs> so he's not thinking like he acts and then thinks so like when he like destroyed the statue it's not like he did it on purpose it's just like oh gotta gotta make a bathhouse everyone stinks now yeah um i i like the mechanist a lot i think that he's the right like right mix of quirky and entertaining alongside actually does some really interesting things and does some good things. And he's things. a great foil um, to Sokka, as you see later in the episode. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely agreed. Um, and I, I think that, that works. I also think this episode does a good job of kind of setting up a little bit of tradition versus technology, uh, which is obviously a major theme um, of Korra, mm -hmm. where, where how much technology begins to make certain parts of what we think of the Avatar's world obsolete. Um, to some degree, you can kind of see the beginnings of that in this episode where 
this is the first time we see air power being harnessed. Um, even though we're, we haven't seen planes yet, where you know we we first see a war balloon, um, and then we can kind you can kind of see how technology is beginning to level the playing field and beginning to to overstep certain certainly what it was before. And I think that that this episode does a really good job of begin like beginning that process that isn't really a big part of this show, but becomes a major theme of the next one. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. I actually thought they were taking a side because you see, like, again, like, as I said, like, how bad the technology looked and how, like, it looked polluted and, you know, all that stuff. But then towards the end of the episode, Aang realized it's really not about being a bender or even being in the culture. It's about, like, your spirit and, like, who you are, like, deep down that, like, defines that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's a great transition into talking about Teo, which is the other thing about this episode that is, I think, done really well. Um, because Teo, for me, is an air, like, is a part of the air, uh, airbender culture. Um, like, er, like every, the way he acts feels very similar. Um, and I think that there's some interesting ramifications of that because, um, A, he's grown up in the temple. So he's probably been kind of exposed to a lot of the stuff around him. And then the other thing is he's grown up in the air because... You know, his father built him this this you know um, this glider in order to have a new life, and it, it it feels very similar to the way Airbenders think about what I said earlier about Airbenders thinking about the air, because for him the air is freedom. The air is him being able to be free of his disability, being free of his um, of the limitations that are placed on him when he's on the ground. And I think that in many ways you can see that Airbender. The, the airbender spirit and the airbender philosophy is something that comes from having this relationship with um, the world around you. And it's not so much about, oh, you, you know, everyone read the same textbooks and therefore they believe the same philosophy, that there's something almost innate about viewing the air as freedom and becoming, an, and becoming a part of this culture. And that is also done re- uh, really, really well here. Anybody on, on Teo? <laughs> um, well, yeah. I, okay, go on, Charles. Oh, no, no, I mean, yeah. No, you're right. Um, I don't... I mean, I kind of disagree about uh, growing up with the culture because his dad has been kind of wrecking that the entire time. And you can see that he doesn't really... Uh, when he introduces them to that room, and he's like, oh, isn't it great? Isn't all the stuff my dad is doing great? And things like, eh... No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you can tell that he doesn't have like a, that side of appreciation. Like he just doesn't know, and that's fine. He's not. There's no way he would. Um, but yeah, I think just the environment itself. The air temples are all in real, uh, locations that are like really difficult or nigh impossible to access to access from like the ground. So everything they do is based around the air. And growing up there, yeah, I agree with Mark. Would, probably uh, skew someone towards believing that the air is freedom. Like, since the ground is so restrictive, you can't do much or go anywhere on it. Mm -hmm. Let me just clarify what I mean. When I say that he's, like, become part of his culture, I don't mean that, like, he understands why them building the technology is wrong or anything like that. I I just mean that he... I feel like Teo is very philosophically similar to the airbenders. Um, not so much like historically or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. it's just uh, from a purely philosophical standpoint, the way the way he looks at the world seems very similar to the way Airbenders look at the world. Yeah, I'd agree. It's, it's nope. true. Corey, you were about to say you something. You know what, Lion? I'm I'm thinking that we glanced over that was said earlier in the episode, like when Aang was like, "I laugh at gravity," and he actually literally laughs at gravity. I think that's like. I'm not, am I even kidding you? Like, I'm thinking about that. That's, like, really such, like, a good line for this episode because, as you see with him, too, like, like when you have, like, the skies, quote-unquote, that's, like, gives you the biggest advantage over someone like the Fire Nation up until mm-hmm. you see the ending of the episode where they, they get, they help really get some of that back. But, like, it's so true. Like, it's just such a funny line that, like, goes for the rest of the episode. Yeah, and it, and it, fit, it fits the sort of Aang 
you know, the, the, it's like that's like the ultimate in the goofy ang that it's it, it makes sense, but it like it's it's that like combination of goofy, but it also does completely gel with with who he is and the way he looks at the world. Um, we get the the beginnings of the natural gas. Mm-hmm. Um, the fi- the fire the firefly lanterns are kind of kind of cute. That was, that was cool. That was- Although my question is, and this is like such a stupid question, but if they're in a cold climate like that with snow, where are they getting the fireflies? Because typically those are found in warmer conditions. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. There's some logical things I'm just like questioning. There are some logical things about this episode that are a little bit shaky. Like, and, and this is the other thing I say. I don't understand how they've been keep like how the mechanist has been keeping this whole selling weapons thing secret. I mean, yeah, I don't know if maybe it's just keeping it secret from Teo and everyone else knows. Um, we don't actually see that, but I don't know. It just it feels weird that like they're keeping this a secret, but Teo knew about the war tanks later. Like yeah. he knew that they were designed. My like, biggest. Where did he think those went? What did he think those were for? Honestly, self defense. I don't blame him for that. Of course, you wouldn't tell your son that you're selling weapons to the Fire Nation. I'm guessing the adults probably knew. Yeah. Listen, my my biggest question in this whole thing is what the hell is going on with that secret compartment door? Where the hell did this guy come from just like casually rising from the ground? He goes, aha, I'm firebender. Like, what? I'm sorry, that whole logic. And then he's like, fine, we'll be back and slowly just goes down into the ground again. I think that was literally (laughs) just for the visual of him slowly rising up being like, that was the funny, you're right, that was a really funny scene, actually. And I'm like, where did you come from? Where are you going? (laughs) His reaction also doesn't make sense because he doesn't, literally, you hear the bell, he says hide and presses the button. It's like, Five seconds and the firebender comes up Maybe and is like, you man. know better than keep me waiting. Like he wasn't sitting there for ten minutes <laughs> keeping it. Like I am very was very confused by that. Like it felt like they just wanted to make the firebender like over the top aggressive, and it just felt really like unless they're trying to say that the mechanist has been jerking them around and like very hesitant to give him weapons, and and there's been a lot of morality there, and like it's an there's like, no real a, hint towards ridiculously that. subtle hint. But I mean, I like subtle hints, but that's. That that's in the realm of like I feel like I'm digging, and it just I don't know. That felt really weird to me. The weirdest part um, for me was when he was like, "Ah, the Avatar," and that was it. Like there's there's no like, there's, I don't know. So like we've been watching all these people go crazy, like oh my god, it's the Avatar, get him, or like you know what I mean. Some kind of like attack well, mode goes on, and this guy's like, "Ah, the Avatar, you're well, in trouble." Well, the one the <laughs> one thing is though, and I have said this a few times, we do know that like it's really only Zhao that cares. That like and Zuko. the rest of and Zuko, but the I mean, in terms of Zuko's not actually uh, a member of the Fire Nation army. Like the rest of the Fire Nation army seems like they don't care. I know, like, but we just saw not... them having wanted posters for them. If, I mean, I'm saying that they don't. <laughs> like, he's not gonna like if if Ang was served him on a silver platter. I'm just saying that we know that. Um, like, we're not that many episodes removed from another general calling the search for the Avatar a vanity project. I know, but still, you'd think that if this person literally comes face-to-face with the Avatar, there'd be a bit more response to it of, oh, like, so, like just something more than, like, oh, hey, Avatar, what's up? No, I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying, and it, it, it was also a little bit weird, but I, that one I can at least kind of explain away as, like, all right, we kind of know that other than Zhao, most of the Fire Nation generals don't seem to care that much about the Avatar. If that was Zhao, it would have been a much bigger deal, obviously. Um, but all in all, I, and this really just gets it what I kind of hinted at when I was talking mm-hmm. in the intro. I, I think the moment we hit the Aang discovering the weapons uh, for the Fire Nation, this episode really begins to take a downturn for me, and I, I don't think it works all that well. Mm-hmm. Um, I disagree and completely. I mean, well, I guess we will disagree, and we'll talk about that disagreement. But I'll just let me go through the reasons I don't think it works, and then you can rebuff what I say. Um, I think for one, the fact that the Fire Nation is here has very little to do with the like theme of this episode being the um, Ang discovering what this new world is like and how how much this this temple and everything has changed. Um, the Fire Nation was not the reason that the 
um, mechanist and in this this group of people left where they lived. It was a flood. So they're not like refugees fleeing the Fire Nation fled here and then just got captured. Um, two, there's not much of like I don't see a real reason for the fire, like for the Fire Nation to want to get rid of this thing. Like, what are they? It doesn't. It doesn't seem like this is really important land or, or something where they're trying to conquer it. Like we know that there are Earth Kingdom settlements around, so that feels really shaky. And then in general, the the way the Fire Nation is acting here is just. It's like all right, they're going to come and, and burn this temple to the ground, and, and they're going to kick all these people out, which is just wrong. To me, it doesn't have anything to do with the morality of whether or not the these people should be. You know, changing things about about the temple that that is sacred, but also is this new these new people's homes. Like the, the Fire Nation has nothing to do with that, and I just think it, it all it serves is creating a fun little battle. But other than that, there's there's very little emotion tied to it, in my opinion. But Corey disagrees. So Corey disagree. Um. Well, are we are, now? Are you like I'm? I'm kind of not getting. Are you not happy with like the fact that he's doing it, or? the fact that like the second half just felt detached from the first half yeah i think no i think the first second half is detached from the first half i don't mind that the the, the mechanist is building weapons for the fire nation i that is fine like it and that makes sense like he's he has something to offer them and they asked and all right and i don't like yeah it's you know it's a, it's a very difficult decision and i understand why he's making it i just think that the fire nation showing up at that moment just feels very i don't think it's necessary I think that they could have had a very interesting story with, like, Ang confronting him about selling these weapons, and like, there could have been an interesting. I don't think the Fire Nation needs to show up. I think the Fire Nation showing up felt really. I feel off like there's me. a lot of episodes of Avatar where I could say I don't think this, the Fire Nation should have showed up, and they just ended it with a giant fight. But this is not one of those episodes because I a lo- I first of all I love the technology you see. I love the tanks. Mm-hmm. The tanks are the the coolest thing, like especially in an animation I've seen. Um, I and the thing is like this crescendo because obviously you're still gonna reveal that he's making weapons and then now you're gonna see these weapons in action. You get the to have Aang working with not Aang, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Sokka working with the uh, the scientists in order to think like a, of like a, a like a weird way to defeat them, which I think they ended up doing. And then you get to see. This is where Aang realizes that these guys have the spirit of airbenders. So, like, I think this, them working together in a struggle to take on the Fire Nation as if they were all airbenders, like, just brought the episode together. I, I would agree with you if they had made a change. If the reason the Fire Nation showed up was because of Aang, I would agree with you. Because then there's a really interesting part of this that Aang is seeing, okay, A, I brought this on these people and they were able to stand up and stand behind me. And B, there's then that works in this sort of the emotional state of Aang seeing how much the world is changing and, and, and what his presence is doing uh, in this circumstance. But because the Fire Nation shows up exclusively because of the mechanist actions, I think Aang is way too forgiving, way too quickly. Um, like, well, like another Aang. episode. Mm, I don't know. Like, Aang is really upset about this. We know how he feels. And then, like, nothing changes. Like, the mechanists, all that's changed from Aang being upset about the state of the temple is the he finds out the mechanist is selling weapons for the Fire Nation, and then nothing changes and he forgives him. There's, like, there's... Uh, that, I, would, I don't know about selling... Uh, I, yeah, Alright, being forced to, to even if he's being forced to build weapons for the Fire Nation, okay, that doesn't that makes him more sympathetic? Yes. To, just yeah. to Aang. Because first off, Aang was already sympathetic <laughs> of them anyway. That's why he was holding back in the beginning because he knew that they were just there because they're nomads and they're, they got displaced because of the Fire Nation. Now you're in a position where he has to do it because the Fire Nation knows they're there. If not, they're going to attack and they're defenseless. So, of course, you have to be sympathetic towards that. I, I don't... You also, I have to, you also have to think about it that Aang could have interpreted it as, well, by doing this, he saved my... Well, not home, but my people's home. Right? If, Inadver- if that was inadvertently. The... Maybe it's not the intention, clearly, right? The mechanism. If that's Aang's point... Then why isn't Aang fine? 
I understand why you're doing this. Give him the weapons and leave, and we'll move on. Like then that like I'm I disagree with that because I just think that there should have been. Oh, because Aang thinks he's the man and can beat up the Fire Nation army, which is arguably what happens. Continue on like okay, now it's revealed. You can't keep giving them weapons. Obviously, that has to stop. Especially this like this prototype like blimp that they ended up getting, but just by mistake, but. Like, you can't let them have this technology. That puts them on, you know, calling with everyone else. I I just think that Aang here is... There, I think that there's a missing scene. I think that there's a scene in between the Fire Nation doing this and then Aang forget. Like, I, the way to be honest, the way I think this... If they're going to go this way, and like I said, I already have problems with the Fire Nation showing up in general, but if you're going to go this way... I think the way, like, the forgiveness should have come at the end. It should have come after the battle, after Aang has realized the help. That, like, Aang says, I'm going to go out and stop them. I don't need your help. And then, in the end, the mechanist brings in the war balloon with Sokka and saves the day and says, thank you, I couldn't have done this without you. Works. But before the battle feels very, like, I don't, I understand what you said about, like, the end of the episode and the battle is all about Aang recognizing that they have the spirit of airbenders and they have the power of flight and all of that. Then that should be the catalyst to Aang forgiving the mechanist and the catalyst for, for, for accepting, like, like, that should be the catalyst. And it's not. It's just the catalyst is Aang is like, oh, well, we need your help. Okay. Uh, it just it doesn't feel it feels really disconnected from the way Aang was feeling five minutes ago. So basically, what you're telling me is Aang uh, diggled. Uh, yes, but I'm not even like this isn't even an Aang diggled here. Like this is really just an Aang. Aang is really emotionally inconsistent here, because Aang walks in like you know you're you're making weapons for the Fire Nation, and there's no like Aang isn't Aang doesn't like sit down. At, if uh, it's not like the um, sorry, I'm just getting here. What I'm saying, it's not as though the the mechanist says tells his story and Ang sits down and goes, "I understand why you did this. You can't do this anymore. We will find a way to to get you out from under it." No, he's the way he acts is, "You need to stop doing this." He's very upset. The Fire Nation shows up and then that's it. Like then Ang's completely fine and we're going to beat them. Rah, rah, does rah. it have to be said? Like again, Ang doesn't need to hear his side of the story. It's self-explanatory. No, but Ang hears his side of the story is still upset. Fire Nation shows up. Then that's it. There's nothing changed in between Ang yelling at the mechanist and Ang forgiving him. The only thing in the scene that's different is the Fire Nation general comes up yells at them and goes no, down well, they hid and then he turned down he t- he blew them off and then ang saw him blow them off that's what changed no he didn't he says i'm gonna give him he he says right this way and then ang pops out I mean, oh, right. the mechanist doesn't make a choice to say, all right, I'm going to defy the fire engineer. He says, hide, let me just give him the weapons, and then, then that's it. And then Aang says, no, you're not going to do that. And then pushes him down the hole. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I think you're a little bit strict with the interpretation there. N- not just, uh, not that specific scene, but perhaps the. Um... Aang's reaction after the story. Yeah, he's upset. Uh, he's still upset after the mechanist explains why this has happened. Um, it doesn't mean that he can't get over that for the moment just to solve the bigger, looming, immediate problem. Would it, would have, would it have been in character for Aang to just ditch them? No, no, I'm not saying ditch them. I'm saying just begrudgingly ask for help you know the, the, it, there, there's a different like, does he he's do like, that ever I, I don't know I, I have to I'd have to think about that but like there's it just or Aang doesn't have to be the one who says we'll need your help Sokka can be that one alright I'll, I'll give like, you that Sokka would have been a better choice like that. just have the same situation and then uh, the the mechanist walks over and says, "Well, you know, I want to help." And Sokka looks at it and says, "We'll need it." 
and that's it. And then Ang is, and then you have no, then I have no problem with the way Ang, Ang acts. And then Ang's forgiveness comes at the at the end once he's realized the way this works. I just think that the having Ang deliver that line and smiling and turning towards him, you know, in a way that's very opening. I understand Ang is a forgiving person. I understand that Ang is sort of someone who would act like that. Just but the I just timing think that the, of it in that moment and the timing feels very off to me and undercuts how devastating all of this is for Anne. All right. That's fair. I mean... Hey, if you if you guys disagree, that's fine. I'm not like, you know, this is just my opinion. I'm not, um, no, I'm not saying this is oh. the only way to look at it, but could it uh, have just, been, that's just how I feel. Could it have been done better? Sure. Was it like a episode-breaking flaw that he immediately accepts it that way? Or in an alternate interpretation, just redirects all of his anger towards the Fire Nation just intentionally, yeah. and then there's no emotion left towards these people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand the multiple the multiple interpretations there. So, I guess it depends on how you read it. Uh, I saw it as like, well, this is Aang, he's always the forgiving type, and he can put aside like some stuff if there's an immediate problem that he sees as much worse. Mm-hmm. Which in this case, it's well, if these guys come up and invade and destroy my home, then shit, I'd, I'd rather have these nomads living here than the Fire Nation raise it all to the ground. Yeah, no, I, 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 I understand that that side of it. I just, I just think Ang should be more upset, and that would have fixed fixed at least that part of it a lot. All right. Um. So once once the battle starts, I know I know Charles, you talked about like the World War One, World War Two, yes. like imagery and the, the scene with the 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 airbenders taking off or the non-airbenders taking off and the crowds kind of cheering below and mm-hmm. waving their hands up, like that, like felt right out of a World War Two movie. I think even just especially the interaction of watching the planes move around and the bombing on the tanks, it was so World War One and World War Two right there. Like, the movement of the planes and the attack formations they have. It was just, like, I felt like I was legit watching, like, a war movie. Yeah. <laughs> Only there, for a kid shot, show. <laughs> yeah, there's there's one shot where they put the camera, like, on, looking down, look from the, the perspective of a glider looking down yeah. and seeing the bombs drop. And yeah. that's, like, right out of, mm-hmm. like, I think those are exact shots in, um... Like some of some of the great uh, World War Two like plane scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although something that came to mind when I was watching this, and again, this is about the logic or dislogic of this episode, which I feel like I just keep bringing up, is the question of you have these amazing tank machines, like oh yeah, they they amazing. They're going up a vertical cliff of a mountain (laughs) they can flip over like oh you flip me over psych i can fix that and yet the idea of balloon travel is like groundbreaking to these people um i think that balloon travel gives them some advantages that they don't have with the tanks i understand that but then again i'm just especially looking at the development uh, that human history itself has had in the development of technology and warfare the idea of the balloon came before the t- the modern invention of the tank and so just um, well there there have been like tanks utilized in warfare before but the advancement that we see in this type of tank with being able to do everything it can do versus the uh, actual presence of like a simple type of balloon, just some yeah, something I, about I, that just irks me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I I understand it, and it's ugh, just because I'm just gonna keep doing this, but I've done enough. <laughs> One thing that a lot of people harp on of why they don't like, especially the beginning of Legend of Korra, is the technology, um, and. They're like, oh, well, Avatar seems very ancient while Korra is much more modern. But 
this like the tanks are one of those things that are very like on that borderline yeah. where if you really think about them it's not that different from the level of technology they have it, it, it does act if you really think about it it does feel very much like 70 years later um and the tanks are a good example of that i understand what you mean Lindsay, and i do at times think that the tank the way these tanks work feels a little bit weird that they're almost at t- more advanced than they should be yeah um that, that's my only the question answer. I've always asked is is there on some level firebending involved um, I don't know we don't have an answer to that we don't know if the the people who are using these tanks are firebenders or not yeah we do um, yeah we know some of them are but we don't know all of them oh okay that's fair we know that the ones that shoot fire out of it what I'm saying is do you need firebending to operate this tank I like to have it move I don't think so I don't know. The mechanist designed them, right? Mm-hmm. There's no but way he'd be that able... doesn't mean... How does he not... How Maybe he designed them, use it... I, and, I don't know. Well, like, that's what I mean, right? I don't know. There's no way he would know. Like, there's... Yeah, I guess. Because... Because my opinion the... of the tanks changes very big between whether there's firebending involved in using them. If there's firebending involved, then I, have, then I think they're really good because... Then it's integrating technology with bending, which is great. If there isn't, then it does feel a little bit like, wow, that's a really advanced um, tank. I mean, even if it is, I'd like to make a mention here that that's arguably more advanced than the tanks we have in real life today. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah. We also have planes that go more than four times the speed of sound. Can someone explain to me how the hell these tanks exist? One one thing to note, and this is one of those weird like breaking narrative for a minute, but there was a time when Avatar was designed to be in the future. There was that that was one of the original ideas that this was going to be a futuristic world. Mm-hmm. It is possible that these tanks are a leftover of that. From that and they like, just plot, made them look a little bit more steampunk and, but similarities because that would make some level of sense right yeah but then they have the blimp that's why it's like so or the lack of blimps that's why it's yeah. so weird i don't know like the the flipping over scene thing was cool but like think about that in real life you'd just be like so fucked up on the inside of that yeah it, it that is it is a little bit weird unless you've got like some re- ridiculous arm shrimp to hold yourself in that chair as the thing is turning Unless upside down. strapped in completely, like you're so strapped well, no. in. But then we know they're not yeah. because they can firebend out of it. Yeah, so it's like hmm. Also the fact that they can uh, hookshot that weight with those chains with one He's chain not. a piece up a mountain is just straight up not possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's kind of weird. That shot is like some of those shots of the when the the the, the tank is falling down and it shoots no. the, the shot out. It's <laughs> not, it's me not possible. So much. Be like we make Corey. We make a lot of we've made a lot of arrow jokes. Like is that not like okay, Oliver? Like that's not really the way that arrows yes. work. But this is animated. Wait, I know. Wait, but arrow. It's fucking that, DC Comics. Whoa, whoa, whoa! We're talking about are... gritty no. CW teen drama. Based <laughs> off of DC Very true. <laughs> Very true. Um, so yeah, I, I mentioned earlier, but they, I do think they also do a lot of stuff with the cinematography here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was like my key issue with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. How how do you guys feel about the convenience of the gas leak being there? Like, in the perfect place for them to blow no, the fire No, that, that actually away. bothered me the most, because I feel like if it was that volatile, the entire place should have blown. And A long time ago. <laughs> and more than just Fire Nation guys could have died in that blast. <laughs> also, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. How many Fire Benders died in this episode? I was wondering that same thing. And, like, how many of them did thing. Aang oh personally gosh. kill? All of them died, yeah. He drops an Not avalanche on them. Not all of them. We see some retreating, but Still, a lot a of good, them definitely die. A good bunch of people are like, dead now, thanks to Aang. Like, <laughs> like Aang tries to throw a tank off a cliff. There's no way that person lives until the arrow Aang's plan. Came out. Well, yes, the arrow <laughs> comes up, but Aang doesn't know that. I don't know how hard he tried to throw these things off the cliff. I mean, we say this a lot about Aang. Like, I think he's got issues with, 
or he's the type of person that can't look at someone or a representation of someone directly and like kill them but he doesn't think so much the same way about collateral damage if that makes sense uh, yes, so like the avalanche he just thinks oh i'm gonna push them off right instead of doesn't think about what happens once they're off the cliff yeah <laughs> but that, well, no, that yeah, kind of actually. thing really does upset me if you if specifically you have a character that says they're not gonna kill and like we know that's a big part of ang it, it bothers me when there's like a lot of cavalier oh well a bunch of nameless soldiers died so it's no big deal like that that kind of thing annoys me. Like, if Aang killed all the time, I have no issue with it. Okay, fine. He would do that. It's totally, it works. But I don't know. Especially when the climax of this show is Aang being like, no, I won't take someone's life, even the most evil person. And meanwhile, like, he's like, oh, let me just chuck this uh, tank I'm off just, the cliff. Not even the tank. Like, this, this, this scene when he um, rides the air scooter across the snow and, like, just drops... What is essentially an avalanche of snow on them? Mm-hmm. Those people are dead. Hey, we don't know that they, right? they could have survived. It's could have, but very, very likely, some of them at least are dead. And there's no like, and nothing. There's no like, no real recognition of what happened. No anything. Like he's just like, oh, well, but the- we defeated them. But that's what I mean, right? Like, Aang seems like the type of person that if he has to stare someone in the face or, or like, something that's equivalent to a person directly and has to, is faced with the choice of killing them or not, he will all, he will pick not to do it. But especially, yes, at thi- I... but especially at this point, doesn't seem to be someone who thinks through the subsequent nature of it, or like the... God, like the the side effects of his actions, like two steps. Down. I, I don't have a word for this, but like, well, let let me compare it to two episodes from now when the start at the start of the siege of the north, when Ang goes and tries to stop the ships. Like, in there, it's very clear that what Ang is doing is trying to sabotage all of the catapults, and like it does seem. It doesn't seem like he's taking aggressive stances against people. It seems like he's just trying to disable these ships as much as possible. And okay, this I, this struck me as the writers didn't just kind of wanted to hand wave and pretend like they didn't die without putting in any way to explain it. Like I I actually think that if you that Ang doesn't believe he killed anyone, and I think that in many ways the writers don't believe Ang killed anyone, but just logistically they wanted some cool looking shot they wanted some cool looking shots and it looks good and that's it and not thinking about the implications like to me this is less about ang and more about like just not particularly good storytelling that this like this is just one of those things that you see sometimes and you see it a lot in like superhero movies and i know we kind of joked a little bit about dc comics but in general like some of the superhero movies and tv shows where we pretend where like a, like a Batman will say I'm not going to kill and then clearly run over someone's car with the point that they're going to be dead but they don't have a name so it doesn't matter. Well, again, we're, we have to separate television as a medium. It's you know you can't disrupt an action an action scene just for a visual effect just so you could you know uh, in real life sure they'd be dead but in in TV logic movie logic all that they're they're either. Unless if they're telling the story about it, they're alive, or it doesn't matter at all. Like, that's like you can't. You, that's just a, a part of a medium that you can't. You can't like Aang doing an avalanche. A worked visually for the episode. B it kept the combat flowing in a way. You can't have Aang do an avalanche, fly down there, pull out the Fire Nation guys, go to the bottom of the mountain, gently push them down. Like that doesn't make sense. You see what I'm saying? I, yes, but. One thing that is very, is noticeable if you watch, especially, and it's a good comparison because they're visually very similar, if you watch the end of book one of Korra um, during a lot of the air battles, there's a very deliberate choice that when most of the planes are hit, you see a parachute come out of it. There's a it's very, very deliberate. And remember, in anim- the one thing about animation is someone was paid to animate something this is not where, oh, the camera picks something up and there's nothing they could do about it. Like, someone chose to animate these scenes a certain way, 
And it does, like, there is a conscious choice at times in Korra, the show that the main character doesn't have a problem with killing, to make it so that a lot of the, like, big action set pieces don't look like they've killed a ton of people. While this one feels, to me, that's just lazy design. That's lazy animation to go for a big action set piece and say, well, let's forget about the implications. I, I don't I don't like that. Now, Corey, maybe you don't mind and that's fine. It just, for me, that that jars me out of the episode and, and, and makes me start to think about these things. And, and I don't I don't like that. Uh, all right, this will be our uh, my last time talking about Korra, but there's one <laughs> no, thing I have to say. No. Because I have to <laughs> Never say. Never over. How broken is Gazan that he can take down that temple when this giant explosion did nothing? Not just, just that broken. Like, I mean. No? You, you, don't, you don't think Gazan is broken for that? Uh, there's a lot of people that we meet that could could have done it. Fair enough. Uh, All right. Um, another, Azula, the final thing I want to talk about this. Ozai, Hang, Pyro. <laughs> go on. Go. <laughs> but the the last thing I want to talk about is, do you think the Fire Nation comes back? Um, do I think they come back? This is like a hypothetical. Like, the end of the episode, everyone's cheering. They've retreated. Cool, we've protected the temple. No, I don't think. Are they not back. coming back in three weeks? I think no. they they would have to come back. The Fire Nation isn't the type of people to be like, oh no, the the refugees in the Air Temple beat us. We are broken. Like no, they're gonna be like, what the fuck, man? No, no, no. Come on, we're going back. We're gonna show Mu's boss. We're gonna destroy them. Like we're gonna get them. Like that's just the mentality. I feel like. With all the other things the Fire Nation has to deal with in upcoming episodes, I don't think they, they care anymore. Maybe if, like, everything was calm afterwards, sure, but... I feel like, though, it's an embarrassment for the Fire Nation. Like, oh, like, who beat you? Oh, some refugees in a northern air temple. Like, it's not something they're going to... I just don't... I feel like that's not something the Fire Nation would take lightly. Like, I, such I'm, a I'm massive Lawrence, type yeah. of battle that they had with dropping bombs on the tanks and everything. And then they're just like, oh, yes, we are defeated. They won. Never come back. Like, no. And clearly they have a vested interest in, like, trying to get the mechanist to build them things. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem likely that they would just, like, take it lying down. Like, okay, yeah, they won. I think they wouldn't come back. Uh, it's less a... I mean, pride is a big thing for the Fire Nation. But from a tactical sense, there's no reason to. Uh, and here's the logic. Going back means that you're giving the opposing side information. It means that... In theory, now they know that Avatar's been there. And they have no idea how good uh, Team Avatar's connection with the world is. Comms-wise and otherwise. Um, so, the Fire Nation's flying blind. That means that if they go back, they it, it implies to, or it has the potential to imply to Aang that, oh, there are these people here, clearly this person is way more important than I thought he was originally. Let's go back and just bring him with me everywhere. Not that that would have actually happened, but it's mm-hmm. one um, logic. Whereas, well, they have the balloon. It was the big thing. It felt like the big thing that Shin was trying to... Uh, the guy was trying to get whoever that Fire Nation leader person was. Do we get a name? a name? We just call him the general... No, I don't think he has a name. I think the nameless the man who rises from the ground. The whole man, yeah. Whole man! <laughs> Master of all holes. <laughs> Can he... Yeah, so, like, they get the balloon, right? Which is, like, this big thing they were working to. And maybe they decide, well, you know what? We can improve this on our own. Forget, uh, it's not worth the effort. It's not worth the, uh, or we don't want to, you know, alert anybody to the fact that we have this now, right? That we have the balloon now. 
So let's just develop it ourselves in secret, the Fire Nation themselves in secret, and then when they do show up again, it actually is kind of a surprise for everybody but the mechanists. Yeah, I mean it's fair. I'm not. I'm not saying like they would just definitely come back. I I just feel like there's a little bit of this, especially more on the side of Aang and the the group at the temple where they're like, oh, like yeah, we did it, we did it. I feel like there's less. Like, I feel like there should be some recognition of like we did it for now, and then then we do know the mechanist eventually leaves because he's in the invasion force. So like, I almost at times thought there's a possibility that they ended up leaving, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever know. We know eventually the temple has been, you know, kind of... We do know Aang eventually goes back and tries to restore the temple, mm-hmm. so... Um, obviously, they, they goofed a little bit, allowing the Fire Nation to get to get the war balloon, which kind of comes back to bite them in the ass You done bit, fucked but. up. J- just a little? A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> All right, so that, that brings us to the end of the episode discussion. Um, so we'll we'll close out with our final thoughts and our rating as per usual. Um, Corey, why don't you give us your final thoughts and your rating? Um, I think this was a very fine episode. Um, I like a lot of like again the 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 ending technology was really cool and unique and blew me away of you know how awesome technology could be uh, in the Avatar universe. Um, I think just meeting. These these guys. I, I like also where Aang went from the beginning of the episode to the end of the episode on how he could use these people. I think he grew as like a person there and realizes that it's not all about just your culture. It's about like who you are as a person. Um, I don't have a lot to say about this episode. You know, overall, I mean, most of it was already said. Um, I'd say this is probably for me a, a, a solid seven point five. All right, uh, Lynn's um, so, again, I, I like this episode. It's a good one. It shows the, uh, the transition of acceptance of change that's kind of inevitable. And it also has, like, a good, um, in- good introduction of the technology of this type of world with the tanks. Um, kind of, I'm still kind of annoyed about some of the logistics of it. But, uh, overall, pretty good. Can't complain too much. So I'm going to have to give it, like, a 6.8. All right. Damn, uh, Charles. We're sliding low today. Jeez. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, I like this episode overall. I, yeah, I do agree that maybe there could have been a better transition between the two parts of the episode or just disclude one. Um, but that being said, I enjoyed each part separately, so that's fine. And then, yeah, there's some, like, logical or uh, world-building things that are a little bit askew. But, I mean, damn, like, six points. This is, like, barely, <laughs> ab- this is like barely above average television. I'd give this if more you're credit. saying it's a... No, no, no. If you're saying it's a... Lindsay gave it, what, a 6.5? 6.8. A 6.8 is saying it's just, just a hair below good. Like, it's... Very, very above average. Like, here's I mean, the thing. It's it's good, but it's one of those episodes where I could be watching it and I would have really no problem being like, oh, something else is on there, like, better, and, like, change it. Like, it's good, but it's just, it's not, I don't know, just... I, I guess for six, me, it's like... The is, is, is almost two full points above average. I'm just, I don't want I don't want to be, like... It's not a t- a really negative feeling. <laughs> no, no, I know, but I'm like, uh, if this was on, I don't know what I would switch to in its place. Um, that being said, like, if there was a really specific episode of something else on, sure. Uh, so it's not like, it's not a nine, it's not an mm-hmm. eight even, but I don't know. I'd probably give this like a seven and a half. Okay. Um, I think the scenes are really, really well done. Especially, I mean, we talked a lot about, or we talked some about uh, the World War Two scenes and dogfighting, and I'll be honest, in animation, that's not something you see done well or just done very often. Mm-hmm. And um, here they do it in a way that's so uniquely Avatar and yet still conveys that same, like, overall feeling. It's great. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit more negative as I feel like I've been throughout the episode. Um, to be honest, I, I think that the first you know like ten minutes of this episode are pretty phenomenal. I I think that they're really good. I think they hit their exact right emotional tone. I just think that I agree with Charles that I don't like the transition in between the two parts. And then I have issues with the way they handled the second half of the episode. Um, in general, I think there are better ways they could have done it. I think this episode would have worked a lot better if Aang was the reason that the Fire Nation showed up and not the Mechanist because it would have given so much more emotional weight to them all working together to defend the temple and these people have made this their home. And it's not their fault that the Fire Nation is here. It's Aang's fault that the Fire Nation is here. I feel like that would have been way better. Um, I think that the the final climax with the with the rotten eggs doesn't really work very well. Um, and overall, I think this episode has, has some problems. Um, all that being said, the good does outweigh the bad. I don't think this is a bad episode. I think that this is... Uh, I think Lynn's is, is just about right. I'm going to give this the same thing, a 6.8. Um, solidly, solidly above average, but... Um, definitely a hair below good and for obviously for avatar that is a pretty low rating and yeah i stand by that i think this that this compared to most of what we've seen in avatar um other than the two episodes that i've rated lower than it divide and bato i i think that this is a weaker episode uh one of the weakest episodes of book one um all right so thanks for uh tuning in i appreciate you guys being on my panel today uh we braved the weather uh to to bring this to you uh, this was our winter storm blizzard Stella of, blizzard of yes winter Stella, storm Stella. Artois um, Stella Artois yeah um, all right, <laughs> oh, I so wish if you if you're paying attention we're coming up on the finale so we have one more episode next week um, and then we will begin our finale coverage ah. um, there will be a lot of finale coverage so be prepared for that um as we as we said earlier, let's let's see if we can uh, get some weight behind um, hashtag Bison Polo. Uh, so so tweet tweet out. Should it, wait, uh, should it be a Bison Polo or a Flying Bison Polo? No, Bison Sky Bison. It was sky oh, okay, bison there we go. Polo. Hashtag, hashtag Sky Bison Polo. So so tweet tweet that, post that. Um, obviously, you can follow follow us on Twitter at Antwoo uh, underscore Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter personally. It's stack underscore mode. That's S-T-A-C underscore M-O-D-E. Um, you'll see me tweeting about this show as well as some casting opportunities and other random thoughts about the world. Um, I don't know. You guys have Twitters that you want to plug? No. I should I have, make one. I have no Twitter. Yeah, you, you all need to make one to tweet hashtag skypicing Paula. So everyone on the whole panel will have made Twitters by next episode. Says and they you, will say I'm not tweet, making a Twitter. <laughs> or I will make them for them and they will... I'll post it on my them. Instagram, how about that? <laughs> or post it on your Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at... What's your Instagram? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> It'll be in the episode description. L i n d s s n o w two one Lynn Snow twenty one. <laughs> All right, thanks you guys for tuning in. Thanks for being on the show, and we will see you next week. See ya. Bye.